So we're talking about Habakkuk, who is a prophet in the Old Testament, and we don't know a whole lot about him other than he lived about 600 years before the time of Jesus. And he was living in the land of Judah, is where God's people lived, and things went from being really great, they were on top of the world, they were very uh, prosperous people, I mean, they were very blessed, seemed like everything was going their way, and then things started to change, and they became impoverished, and there was a lot of crime and violence and a lot of injustice and a lot of things that just didn't seem right to Habakkuk. And so Habakkuk was a prophet. He was a minor prophet. And a prophet, the way it typically works is that a prophet is somebody that God would give a message to this person. And then God would turn, tell the prophet, go tell the people, this is what I'm saying. So Habakkuk was a little bit different in that he kind of worked in reverse. Habakkuk took the message from the people and then delivered it back to God. And so that's what Habakkuk's been all about. And we've been in three chapters. That's it's a very small book. So just three chapters. We've been tackling a chapter each week. And so Habakkuk is really frustrated in chapter one. We find out that he is just really upset and he doesn't understand what he is seeing. And really ask this question that many times we ask ourselves now is if God is good, why do bad things happen? If God is good, why sometimes is life not good? And so that's the question that Habakkuk is wrestling with. And many times in our lives, in my life for sure, I've had to ask that question of God, if you're good, why is this happening? And so he, he asked God, hey, I don't understand. You said you were good, that you're for us, and all these bad things are happening to your people. And, he, and God responds back to Habakkuk. He hears what he has to say. God responds to him. He says, I'm going to amaze you. You won't believe what I'm going to do. And Habakkuk was amazed because he actually tells him that things are going to get much worse. He says, your enemies, the Babylonians, they're going to be raised up. They're going to come in. They're going to take over your land. They're going to wipe you out. It's not a good situation. And so Habakkuk is sitting here left wondering what is going on. So as we tackled chapter one, the first thing that we found out in chapter one was all about this. It was all about wondering. All about wondering. God, where are you? If you are good, why are you allowing this to happen? If you, you can do something about it, but you don't seem to be doing anything. Matter of fact, you don't even seem like you care. And so Habakkuk is in this spot of wondering what is happening. He's had this moment of, God, I know that you're good. I know that you're capable, but you just don't seem to be doing anything about it. So he's really wrestling. And so that's what happens in chapter one. In chapter two, it doesn't get any better. Matter of fact, we talked about this last week. In chapter two, it seems to get worse. What could be worse than wondering than waiting? No one likes waiting. Waiting is so incredibly difficult. And so we read this in Habakkuk, and he tells, God tells him, though it linger, wait for it. Though you don't see what you want right away, wait for it. Wait for God to do something. And we also talked about this, that when it's not God's time, you can't force it. But when it is God's time, you can't stop it. So that's what happened in chapter one and then in chapter two. So we were wondering, we were waiting. And then in chapter three, the tone seems to change. Something happens and the tone changes in chapter three. It seems to actually just go a complete different direction, leading all the way up until the end of chapter two. The last verse in chapter two says this in verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. 
And so Habakkuk is saying here in this moment that he recognizes God is on the throne, that he is in control, that it doesn't seem like it. I've done a whole lot of wondering. I've done a whole lot of waiting. I don't know where you are, God. But then all of a sudden, that last verse sets us up for what happens in chapter 3. It's like there's almost like this reset in chapter 3, that he, he's been telling God, he's been upset, he's been wondering, he's been waiting, and now all of a sudden the tone begins to change and it begins to shift in chapter 3. So we'll jump in right in chapter 3. Verse 1, and there's a word in here that you might not catch or even understand what it means at first, but it says this in verse 1 of 3. It says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shijanoth. Shijanoth. Everyone say Shijanoth. I'd like to assure you that you did not just swear in church, but this is a word. What does Shijanoth mean? Well, it's a great question. I don't know if you've ever been reading the Bible like that, and a word comes up, and you're like, you just go on, right? Because what in the world does that mean? Well, if you're wondering what the word shijanath means, I'll help you out. The word shijanath is the plural form of shijan. That helps us out, right? That, that, that clears it up perfectly. We know exactly what that is. And the interesting thing about shijan is that it is a musical term. It only ex exists one time. You only find it one time in the book of Psalms. And shijanath actually only exists one time, and that's in the book of Habakkuk that we're reading right now. But it's actually a musical term. So it's telling people how to, like a congregation, here's how the song should be sung. Shijanath, this is how I want you to sing it. So it'd be like, hey, we're going to sing this song, and I want you to sing it like it's a love song, right? Sing it like it's a love song. Or, hey, this next song, I want you to sing it with some jazz flair, right? Put some jazz flair into it. That's how you should sing this song. Or, or about this one, we want you to do this one with a little bit of hip-hop flair, right? We want you to sing this one with hip-hop. I want someone to do the floss, right? I, I can't floss at all. It was not even close. It was terrible. My daughters, um, I do that for them occasionally, and they just like, oh. They try to teach me, but I just, I, I can't dance at all. But that's what shijanath means. It's actually a musical term that tells them how they were supposed to sing it. And for them, it meant that they were singing it with strong emotion that it was impassioned exuberance, wild, passionate singing with changes of rhythm, high-spirited praise. And so this is how they were supposed to sing it. They were saying, here's the prayer. It's Shijanath. This is how you're supposed to do it. I love this one commentary said, it's not a whiny cry in your beer ballot, right? That's not Shijanath. That's not what we're looking for. This is not that country song. You know, there's a tear in my beer and my dog in my pickup truck. It's not that. That's not Shijanath. It says it's praise punctuated with exclamation marks. Praise punctuated with exclamation marks. Now, believe it or not, this week I watched an entire documentary on the exclamation point. If you can believe it, there is a documentary on the exclamation point. I watched it. Yes, it was life-changing, totally changed my life, how they came up with 30 minutes to talk about the exclamation point, but they did it, and I watched it, and it was actually kind of fascinating. Talked about the history of it, where the exclamation point came from, talked about how it's moved through history, and how it's changed in literature, and how it was like once a great thing, and it was kind of like, oh, it's not a big deal. You shouldn't use it in literature anymore, and then it talked about how we use it in our modern society, and in advertising, and now in social media, and now with text messaging, it's kind of a really big deal. That exclamation point makes a really big deal when you're responding to someone, right? Because if you're asking someone, hey, do you want to hang out this week? And it's just sure, period. It's like, oh, well, they, they don't really want to hang out, right? But if it's sure, exclamation point, then you know that they're into it, right? So the exclamation point makes a really big deal when you're texting someone. Go watch the documentary. It'll change your life. It's on Netflix. But this is what we're supposed to do as Shijanath is praise with exclamation marks. It makes a really big difference. And so the most passionate praise is the praise that comes before 
the provision. Praising God before the provision takes place. Last week we talked about a guy, guy named Paul and his friend Silas, and they got locked up in prison. They weren't even doing anything wrong. They were just sharing about God. They were sharing about Jesus, and they got locked up and put in prison. And so it was a very, very difficult time. They're shackled in prison. It's midnight, darkest hour, and they just begin to praise God. There's no answer in sight. There's no way they're getting out of here, and they begin to sing and praise God in that moment. And that is the most passionate praise, is the praise before the provision, because that is the praise for the what and not the praise, not the praise, it's the praise for the who and not for the what. So the praise for the what is what God can do for us. And we, we praise God in those moments that we're excited that he can do things for us. But the praise for the who is simply giving God praise for who he is. And so Habakkuk's in this space that he's knowing, hey, God's not coming through exactly the way that I would want. And so I don't have a lot of praise to give him for the what, but I can praise God for who he is, for his character that he loves me, that he sent his son to die for me, that I can praise God for the who, even before I can praise him for the what. So take a look. In verse 2, he says this. In 3-2, he says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. So this is who God is. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. So he's saying, God, I've heard about you, and I know that you can do these great things. And it really reminded me of the lyrics of the song that we sang today. And if you caught it, the words went like this. I've seen you move. Come move the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way. And I believe I'll see you do it again. See, Habakkuk is saying, God, I've seen you work. I know your power. I know you're able to. Would you please come and do it again. Would you please come and do it again? So we talked about how in life there's this moment that we're here and we haven't come to a relationship with God. We haven't experienced God's grace, but then something happens and along the way we experience God's love. We experience his grace. We come to a relationship with him. Everything's going our way and we seem to be having this mountaintop experience. God's answering our prayers. We're seeing him move in our lives. We know his power and it's just an amazing place to be, but then life begins to happen as it seemingly does. We have a crisis. We talked about this as a crisis of belief. Crisis of belief. Something happens. We lose our job. Family member gets sick. We pray for them. They don't get better. Something bad happens in our life, and it really causes us to wonder that, God, if you are good, why am I no longer here on the mountaintop? Why am I no longer seeming that it doesn't seem that you're here and you're with me? I'm here and I feel like I should be here. And so a lot of times people think that there's one of two choices, that you can just choose to ignore it, pretend like nothing's going on, just be ignorant of it and say, hey, I'm just going to choose, you know, God's good, and I'm just going to pretend like nothing is going on, and I'm just fine. Or most, most of the time people choose to just simply walk away and say, God, I don't understand. I feel like you should be good. I feel like you should be here for me. I'm not seeing you move the way that I feel that you should move. And so people will just choose to walk away. And then life continues to happen, and it doesn't seem like things are getting better, and it just seems like we end up all the way down here in the valley scratching our heads saying, man, God, if you're good and you're for me and you're with me and all those things and those verses that people talk about from the Bible, why am I down here in the valley? Why am I not experiencing you up here in the mountaintop? It just doesn't seem to make sense. And friends, many times in life we find ourselves in the valley. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you were there recently. 
Maybe one day you'll end up in the valley, but I know this, there are a few things that we've got to do when we are in the valley. When we are in the valley, there's two things that we want to talk about doing. When we're in the valley, what do we got to do? The very first thing we've got to do when we're in the valley is to remember. We've got to remember. When you're in the valley, just like Habakkuk showed us, we've got to remember. So in Habakkuk 3.3, he says this, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and praise filled the earth. Now, that might sound like it makes no sense. Like, what is, what is Taman and Paran? I thought, is this something from, like, the Hunger Games? Like, I don't know, what, where, where, is, where are these places? And so to us, that doesn't mean a whole lot. But Habakkuk is mentioning the place that God took, that he led the Egyptians to after he freed the people of Israel when he took them out of Egypt. So God's people were stuck in slavery in Egypt for a very long time. And then he parted the Red Sea. You might remember the story from V.B or Sunday school, and they were stuck. They didn't know what they were going to do. The Egyptians are coming towards them. The Red Sea is in front of them. They have nowhere to go, and God splits the Red Sea, does a miracle for them. They cross the other side, and these are the places that he takes them when he delivers them. So this is what Habakkuk is saying. I remember I remember when it didn't seem like there was any way for them to get out. I remember when our people were stuck. It didn't seem like there was anywhere from the turn, but you delivered them. You brought them to this place after you delivered them from Egyptian bondage. And so Habakkuk is remembering. So we've got to remember that there is, it seems like there's no way out. It doesn't seem like God is with us in that moment. We've got to remember all of the things that he's done for us. So he continues this in verse 4 and 6. He says this, His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his step. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. And he continues in verses 7 through 15 to just recount all of the great things that God has done for his people. He talks about how he could have said things like God sent bread from heaven, that the Israelites were, were hungry and they were wandering in the desert and there was no food and he sent bread for them in heaven. And there was another person, he sent food on a raven. He delivered it to him before Uber Eats. There was ravens that God sent food to to those people for them to be able to eat. He brought water from a rock that there was nothing for them to drink, and they literally hit a rock, and water came from that. He sent fire from heaven. There's one point where he caused the sun to stand still so that they could overcome their enemies. He shut the mouths of the lions when Daniel was in the den, and he was going to be eaten alive, and he shut the mouths of those lions. That he saved the children, the Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they were sent to the fiery furnace to die, and he was with them, and he saved them. And he just recounts all of these things and remembers God's goodness. Even though it doesn't seem like it's going well, he remembers God's goodness. And in my own life, I remember the times that God was good to me. See, I remember very many years ago when I was a single guy and I was waiting for my spouse. And for me, I made a decision in high school that I wasn't going to date anymore. And so I stopped dating. And then in college, I didn't date at all. So I was at this place where I was out of college. I'm really ready, you know, for that wife, that woman. I'm like, come on, I gotta really just, I've waited. You know, and we talked about this last week, dating, waiting in the deep desire for mating. And that's where I was. I'm like, God, can you just please, just please send her, Lord, right? You just praying those prayers of God, where, where is this woman that you have for me? I've just been waiting, you know, in an eternity. It really wasn't, but for me, it felt like that in that moment. And I remember meeting my wife, Christy, and we actually met online, which today doesn't sound like a very big deal. But back in like 2003, it was a little sketchy. 
But we met online. Like today you met too. And it, I remember back then like having to like, oh, so how did you meet? And you're like, mm, online. You know, and you just kind of just didn't felt, you know, like like it was wrong. But I'm telling you, it was, it was a God thing. Today it's not a big deal. People are like, meet online all the time. But that's how we met. We met online. We actually met on eHarmony. So there you go. If you ever want to know if that stuff ever worked. We totally got tricked into it. I went onto it for like a free personality profile, you know, and it was like, oh, get a free person. I'm like, oh, I love that stuff, personality profiles. And it's like, oh, now that you've done that, would you like some matches? And like, I'm a curious guy. Yeah, let's let's see what's out there. Let's let's put the fish rod out there. Let's see what's going on, right? And so it was ridiculous, and I didn't enjoy any of it. And then um, my now wife, Christy, was also on there. Same thing, free personality profile. Um, we decided not to play the game because he like put you through a whole process. Well, she's a cheater, and she slipped her phone number in one of the answers, so we just totally bypassed the eHarmony process and started communicating. So I guess eHarmony did work for us, but it didn't because we didn't do it the way that we were supposed to. Uh, I was just blown away because it was like there's this person who just was so funny. The one question asked, what would, your match, what would you like your match to know about you? Because we were matches. What would, your match, what would you like your match to know? And this was literally the response that she put on there. I would like my match to know, in order to be able to be used to start a fire, it must be stored in a cool and dry place. I'm like, who is this woman that you have made for me, God? Yes. That's literally the answer. And so um, the ring in the inscription that I gave her, it actually says on inside of her ring, it says, to my cool, dry match. Um, yeah, so I remember being in that spot and bringing Christy, to, and it just so... All the waiting was just, it was in those moments that God was so faithful. Everything that God had for me in those moments of waiting and knowing that we were states apart, that we would never met each other physically until we took that step of getting tricked and doing the personality profile on eHarmony. Thanks, Neil Clark Warren. But we did it, and we, we, we went through the process, and we ended up getting married. It was very quick turnaround. We were married in under a year from when we met. And at that time, you know, that's just crazy stuff. But our family was like the most encouraging. you think they'd be the ones to be like, oh, I don't know about this. This person online. But they were like, no go for it. It's great. Go get married and make grandchildren, right? That's, that's, uh, that's all they cared about in that moment. And so I remember how faithful God was in that moment of bringing Christy to my life at the right moment. I remember when we made the decision to move here to start a brand new church. And church planting is a very difficult thing. And honestly, there's no guarantees. And so we were living in the state of Indiana that time where my wife is from. I'm from here, from Pittsburgh. And so we felt God calling us here to start a church. And so we left two really good full-time jobs that paid well. And we left jobs to come to no security. And there's no guarantees in church planting. It's a very big step of faith. And honestly, can be incredibly intimidating and scary. And so I remember moving here and there was income wasn't secure. We didn't know what we were going to do. We had some plans. Those things didn't work out. And so we're thinking, I don't know how this is going to work out. We move into our home. Our girls start the school and we're like, there's bills due and there's no money coming in. God, what are we going to do in this moment? And we just didn't know. We did. It was a very frightening place to be. And I remember one day checking the mail and there was a card in that mail and we opened up that card and someone who didn't know about our circumstance, they didn't know anything that was going on with us financially, but there was a check that was included in that mail that paid all of the bills for that month. And it was for us one of those only God moments of sitting now and remembering, God, there is no way that could have happened any other way but you providing for us in those moments. And we've continued to see God do that in this journey. Because church planning, it's not easy. And you're like, man, are, are people gonna show up? Are people gonna come help and join be a part 
the team. We had to raise all the finances to be able to buy all the stuff, to be able to launch it, and just being in those moments and being glad, I'm not, I'm not sure, and I feel like I'm in the valley, and what is going on, and just being able to look back and remember and say, you know what, God? You were there when we needed you to be, and I don't know how this is all going to work out, and sometimes this is incredibly scary and intimidating, and I feel like this is just sometimes crazy, but then I remember. I remember that God was faithful. I remember that he showed up and he caused provision, and every step of the way, we've continued to see him do that in this journey for Treeline, that he sent the people who stepped up and said, yes, I want to be a part of this team, that there were a group of people who moved here from Indiana to be a part of this, that as we met and connected with people here locally who stood up and said, yes, we want to be a part of that, as we had to raise all of the funds and all the money we needed to get the church off the ground, that there were people from all over the country who contributed and gave and sacrificed to be able to make this happen because they believed in us and they believed in this dream of a church who wants to reach people in Pittsburgh who are far from him. And so we remember that God was faithful. And so we continue to say, you did it before we know you can do it again. So the second thing that we want to do when we're in the valley, before we do that, we got to remember this is what we don't want to do when we're in the valley. We don't want to endure. We don't want to simply endure and hold on and say, hey, we're just going to endure. We're just going to like rough it. We're going to get through it. That's, that's not what we want to do. We actually want to do this. We want to embrace. And we talked about that, that Habakkuk's name actually means to wrestle and to embrace. And so when we're in the valley, we don't want to simply just get through it, but we want to embrace God through it. And so it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to Habakkuk because he's saying, God, here's the problem. We need you to save us from these enemies, but instead you're going to raise them up and they're going to wipe us out. And still Habakkuk chose to say in the middle of knowing that God's answer was not what he wanted, he still would say, God is still on the throne. My God has always been good. And not only that, he has always been faithful. And so this isn't a superficial state of denial. It's not simply staying up here and saying, I'm just going to deny and pretend like nothing is going on. But this is something that just looks the truth in the face and willing to say that I still trust in my God. That's where Habakkuk was. That doesn't make sense. I don't understand why I'm in the valley. I'd much be rather camped out up here in the mountaintop but I'm in the valley and I'm going to choose to embrace and say, I don't understand. I'm frustrated, but I'm still going to hold on and believe that you've got this, God. So in Habakkuk 3.16, it says this, I heard and my heart pounded. I heard and my heart pounded. And this isn't like the good kind of pounding, like, oh, she was so fine and she looked at me and she just flipped her hair that right way. My heart just began to, no, it's not that kind of pounding. This is like the something bad's happening. My heart's beating out of my chest. So I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He says, I know this is going to be brutal. I know this isn't going to go well. I know this isn't the answer that I was looking for. I know that my people are going to suffer. But then he continues in verse 17 and he says this, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and there are no cattle in the stalls. He's saying, man, Nothing is going my way. This is not going right. And I remember being there with our own daughter. I shared the story of our daughter, Emery, who was sick, and just being in that moment and waiting for God to answer. And this is exactly where Habakkuk is. He's saying, I don't see a way. I don't see how this is going to happen. And I might still be needing a job. I'm out of work. 
I don't know when this marriage is going to be restored. I don't know when this relationship or this friendship is going to come back into a place where it needs to be. I don't know why I'm still in this place of hurting and suffering. But he continues and includes with this in verse 18 and says this, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. See, there are a dozen reasons why Habakkuk shouldn't have rejoiced. And there are reasons in our life where it seems like there is no reason for us to rejoice. But he still chooses to say, I will trust in the Lord. See, as we mentioned, Habakkuk's name means to wrestle and to embrace. To wrestle saying, God, I don't understand. I don't want to be here. I don't agree with what's going on. I know that you're able and capable of doing something. But to embrace and say, even though I don't understand, I choose to believe and trust in your goodness and your character that you've got this. I remember after I graduated college, actually in that moment where I was waiting for Christy, the night before commencement at graduation, I graduated, I went to school in, in Oklahoma, in Tulsa, and there were a bunch of friends and family came out to celebrate with me, and we all went out that evening. And matter of fact, it was the night for the world premiere of Spider-Man. It was like a really big deal. It was completely sold out, and I actually um, went online because we had the internet then, and we, I, I like pre-ordered tickets so we could take everyone that came to visit us. There was like at least a dozen of us that came, and so I got tickets for everyone. I was super excited, so we, we went out to eat. We had a hooding ceremony earlier where they like give you some fancy hood that you throw away after you're done with commencement. You just spent tens of thousands of dollars getting, but anyway, we went out, and then we went to Spider-Man, and theaters absolutely packed there with the whole family celebrating. All of a sudden, I start feeling really, really weird. Like, I just don't feel good. And it was actually right around the part where Peter Parker gets bit by the spider. And I'm like, I'm about to get superpowers. This is crazy. Like, I, I, what is happening right now? Spider senses are tingling, right? Well, it wasn't a good moment. And so I, like, really start to feel lightheaded. And so I make my way to the end of the aisle. Theater is absolutely packed. My mom's sitting on the end row, and so I tell her, hey, I'm not feeling good. Can you meet me in the lobby? And she's like, yeah. So she gets up, following me down the little ramp on the side. Well, I don't even make it out of the door, and I just pass out. I just, I'm just on the floor. Well, my mom thinks I'm dead. Like, literally, I, I remember hearing in those moments, but I really couldn't move. She starts screaming and, like, smacking me or whatever. And, like, so, like, one of the ushers sees her, and they're like, oh, my gosh. She's like, go get my husband. Well, there's, like, 500 people in the theater packed. They're going to go buy my husband. Yeah, okay, so let me go find the passed out guy's dad, right? And so I got to take an ambulance ride, and then I got to do all kinds of fun things and labs. And I remember it, and I got discharged that night, and they were like, you were very dehydrated. I'm like, I don't know why I'm dehydrated. It's just Tulsa and 150 degrees, and I've been drinking Pepsi all day. Why would I be dehydrated? I don't know. And so I got my little wristband, and they discharged me, and I wore my hospital wristband to commencement the next day. Good times, right? I remember sitting there in commencement with that on. And so it started this process for me where I just physically wasn't doing well. I started um, always feeling really lightheaded. This was happening for weeks. I would wake up in the middle of the night and just have tremors and just start shaking really bad. It, was, it would just wake me up right out of my, just dead sleep, middle of the night, and just start shaking. I had no idea what was going on. It was very scary. I didn't know what was happening. Obviously, went to the doctor a whole lot. They did all kinds of scans and tests and poked and prodded me and ran all kinds of labs to try to figure out what was going on. They had me wearing like a heart monitor at one time for a couple of days, trying to get some answers. And they're like, we don't know. You're, you're fit. Everything's fine. I'm like, <laughs> things are not fine, doctor. I'm waking up in the middle of the night like there's an earthquake, right? I'm just like seizing on the floor. We didn't know what was going on. It was very, very intense, and I thought I was dying. I really didn't know. It was really, really tough place to be. But I remember in the middle of that, 
as frustrated as I was, and I was like, God, if they could just give me an answer and be like, here's some medication you could take, but there was no answer, and so it was just very frustrating, and I remember what I started to do in the middle of the night when I would wake up with those moments, when I would wake up with those attacks, what I would start to do, I would just get up, and I would just start praising God. I would just start walking around the house, and I would just be like, you know what? If I'm not going to be asleep, and I'm going to shake like this anyway. I'm just going to start giving God praise and glory in those moments, and that's just what I began to do. So anytime I started to feel one of those attacks, every time I started to physically shake, whatever was going on, I just started giving God praise in those moments because it didn't make sense. And I felt even like Habakkuk did in that moment when I was in the valley. It's like, I have a choice. I can let this drive me away from God. I go, what are you doing, Lord? I just went to school. I just went to college to be a minister. I'm supposed to be out here like teaching people about you and I can't even function normally. Where are you in the midst of this? I'm so frustrated. So in the moment, instead of just getting down, I just made the decision that God, I'm just gonna give you praise and glory in the middle of it. And it didn't make any sense to do it didn't make any sense to be like, first thing you want to do when you just start shaking, waking up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to get up and start praising God. That's just not normal, right? But that's the point that I got to, that even though I didn't understand, I wasn't going to let go. And that is what Shijanath in Habakkuk is all about. It's not a half-hearted praise to God. It is with everything within you from the depths of your soul. God, that I am going to give you praise, that I'm going to give you glory, even when it doesn't make sense. See, this is a faith that worships when nothing seems right, when it feels completely wrong. This is a faith that believes when we don't see, when we don't see the answer, when we don't see God come through the way that we want. It's a cry from our heart declaring praise for God even in our pain. That's what Shijanath is all about, and that's what chapter 3 is all about. It's about that Shijanath. It's about giving God praise from the depths of who we are. It's giving him praise before we see the provision, before we see the answer. It's praise with exclamation marks. Garrett's going to come up and play for us as we finish up here. See, in Habakkuk, it doesn't resolve to a good situation. We talked about the last two weeks that Habakkuk is not a sitcom sermon. It's not something that there's just a resolution. It doesn't just make the best of a bad situation. Here in Habakkuk, it's much deeper than that. See, Habakkuk said, it's not good. There are no grapes on the vine. The flowers aren't in bloom. Things just don't seem like they could get any worse. But God is still on the throne. That he is still worthy of all of my praise. In verse 19 of chapter 3, it says this, The sovereign Lord is my strength. The sovereign Lord is my strength. When I'm in the valley, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. We talked about in first James in the book of James, first chapter, it says, Consider it pure joy, my friends, my brothers and sisters, for the trials that you face of many kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. See, when we're in the middle of the valley, we have the choice to praise God to do what Habakkuk said, that Shijanath, that it didn't make any sense and doesn't always change our situation when we're in that valley and we choose to say that God is worthy when we're not here where we want to be. Does the situation always change? No, it doesn't always change. We don't always get what we want. 
As I shared the first week when we were in that place of our daughter being sick after just being a few days old, and we were wondering, God, where are you in this moment? And we didn't get the answer that we wanted. And we had to say goodbye to our daughter in that hospital. And we were so deep in that valley wondering, God, where are you? This doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. I know that you're able to do something, but you're not doing anything. And in that moment, we had to do what just felt unthinkable at that time. Maybe we'll just endure through. We'll just, we'll just get through it. We'll grin and bear it. Things will change. Time will heal it. And that's not true. That didn't happen. And so we had to get to this point where we had to choose to say, God, I'm going to choose to embrace you. I'm going to choose to remember that you were good. I'm going to choose to remember that you were there for us. I'm going to choose to remember all the things that you've done in my life. I'm going to choose to embrace you even though I don't understand it. It doesn't seem right. I'm going to do what Habakkuk did, and I'm going to rejoice, and I'm going to praise you in the midst of that storm, in the midst of the valley. That that's where the perseverance comes in our life. That's where that faith comes from. See, we may enjoy God on the mountaintop. We may enjoy those moments, and we should. We should rejoice and enjoy those moments. But we get to know God and his faithfulness in the valley. See, in chapter 1, the challenge was don't walk away from God in chapter 1 when you're wondering where God is, when you're wondering why things are working out the way they are. In chapter 2, we said in the middle of the waiting, don't quit on God in chapter 2. But see, you can't have chapter 3 faith without first having a chapter 1 wondering and having a chapter 2 faith. You can't have chapter 3, that holding on, giving God praise and the glory without the wondering and without the waiting. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you're in that valley. Maybe you're on the mountaintop and things are all going great for you. And that's awesome. Celebrate that. Praise God in those moments. But maybe today you're in that valley and it feels like God is far from you. You don't understand the things that you're going through. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. And maybe you've just been waiting on God and just waiting and waiting. God, where are you in the midst of this? It doesn't seem like you're just going to come through. I don't know where you're at. And maybe today God is just challenging you to have that faith that says, I trust you and I will give you praise, not only for the what you can do in my life, but for who you are. Heavenly Father, I thank you today. God, that we can come to you and give you praise in the midst of the valley. God, that we may not completely understand, that we may be hurting, that we may be frustrated with you, Maybe we're even angry and upset that you would allow things to happen in our lives. But God, that we can embrace and know that you are good, that you are for us, that your word says that nothing can separate us from your love. So God, I just ask today, God, that we would bring you praise that we would give you praise, God, from the depths of who we are, recognizing even in our frustration, even though we don't understand, even in the waiting, God, that we can choose to say that you are good and that you are in control. God, I thank you and I give you all the praise. In Jesus' name.